0: The following program deals with military and veteran issues. All comments and opinions expressed on this show are those who made them. They do not reflect the opinions of the Church of Satan or Radio Free Satan. So on with the show.
1: Welcome to the official Infernal Legion podcast. I'm your host, Reverend Jeff Bowling, commander of the Infernal Legion, and this is a very special interview with one of our wicked warriors of the Infernal Empire. Warlock Chris Little of Satanism 101 is going to be joining us to discuss his career in the United States Navy, discovering Satanism, and what led him to create his new video show, which you can find on YouTube. But before we get to that, joining me as always is my lovable and furry co-host, Reverend Dwayne Burns, the VSO of the Infernal Legion. Dwayne! How the hell
0: are you, brother? Doing better in some ways and worse than others. (laughs) <laughs> Isn't that just um, the story of life? <laughs> it is. Um, tomorrow's my 13th wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations, man. Happy anniversary. Yeah. Also, I find out about my surgery on my shoulder tomorrow. They're going to do a full shoulder on me tomorrow, or going to tell me about it tomorrow. So for people who
1: may just be tuning in because they want to hear Chris talk, you had <laughs> the end of last year, <laughs> You uh, you slipped and basically shattered your shoulder in like seven places, right? Right. And then there was some heart issues and whatnot while you were in the hospital, that's why you were gone from the show for so long, not to mention life and self. Life um, itself. They're just now getting around to, to the point where they can actually do something about the shoulder, right? Is that what's going on?
0: Right. Doc wanted to check to see, you know, would there be any bone growth? Would there be anything mm-hmm. miracle that would happen? And with all the stuff that was going on, the dialysis, you know, my kidneys shut down on me. Like, everything shut down on me when I was gone for that two months. They they had yeah. me they
1: had me sedated for the two months. Yeah, it was it was fucking scary, man. Like, yeah. long time listeners know that uh, I've mentioned this before. Dwayne and I had a video chat the day before they induced a, a coma. He doesn't remember that video. <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> spoke to his wife probably every other day every two days while you were in there and relayed any of the updates to uh, the to central administration and to the rest of the legion and uh, yeah it was it was fucking terrifying but you're back getting healthier and now they're finally gonna be able to do something about the shoulder you said they're looking at a full replacement what what all do you think that's going to entail
0: Uh you got your to just like your uh decap you got a rotator cuff. you got the ball you got what fits over top of the ball well that's what's in my shoulder, yep. the pla- the place that fits over top of the ball shattered in seven places. Not the ball. So the ball itself, is just kind of grinding so. right now. Right. I've got about 30% use of the shoulder and it hurts like a son of a bitch. And I've been back on a damn pain meds again, which I'm not happy about. I'm going to need some recovery no. from that.
1: In the meantime, fucking boss. You're knocking out podcasts every month. In this yes. case, twice a
0: month. <laughs> got to do it.
1: And still help invest deal with their VA paperwork, because that's how awesome you are. Got to do it. Well, Dwayne, thank you for the update. On the next episode, we'll be sure to let everybody know what the situation is going on there. That will most likely be right around the time that you're going under to, to get the surgery done, so it'll be right before.
0: Well, we'll make sure to do a show right before I go under. Because they said within about two or three weeks. And, you know, we're doing another show in two weeks or so. So we'll we'll just make sure it's right around there. Yeah. Scary stuff. But
1: also, I I was really happy when you gave me the update on that. Because I know that your shoulder has been hurting you. Well, I mean, that's the whole reason you went to the hospital in the first place last year was because of your shoulder. And it's been bothering you the whole time ever since. So I I can't even imagine the pain that you've been enduring this whole time. But, hey, ever forward, right?
0: Ever forward.
1: All right. Well, like I said before, this is a special Wicked Warrior episode of the official Infernal Legion podcast. So let's take a quick break, get some messages in from Radio Free Satan, and we'll be right back with warlock and U.S. Navy vet, Chris Little.
2: Well, man, it is now official. The Shit road Roadshow, the finest in rockabilly, psychobilly, vintage country, swamp rock, surf rock, doo-wop, this potpourri of madness. The Shit road Roadshow, radio-free goddamn Satan. I'm Clint Mofesto coming at you from the Double Cross Ranch. Booze in one hand,
1: microphone in the other, swamp thing on the telly, and the good tunes in front of me here at the computer.
2: The Shit road Roadshow, radio-free Satan. Damn! You will excuse me,
1: won't you? Well, thank you very much! Why start your mornings early when you can sleep in late and wake up later to a freshly brewed cup of Radio Free Satan? Radio Free Satan is infernally roasted with a complex taste to suit your indulgence. It's sinful. That's why it tastes great. So pour yourself another helping of this podcast and others at RadioFreeSatan.com.
0: Welcome to the Metro. Your host, Reverend Jeff Evans, brings you a weekly time trip back to the 1980s with songs from the Decade of Decadence, only on Radio Free Satan. Hail Satan.
1: Welcome back to the official Infernal Legion podcast right here on Radio Free Satan. Joining us at this time is none other than the Wicked Warrior himself. Warlock Chris Little is in the house. Chris, thanks for being here, man. How
3: are you? Good. Thank you for having me on.
1: We've known each other for a few years now, but mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever had the opportunity for you to share your story with the rest of the Infernal Legion. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's jump into it, man. Let's go back to a baby, Chris, back <laughs> in the day when you were a young, pimply-faced lad and you decided to enlist in the United States Navy. Right. What made that decision for you? What, what made you want to do that?
3: Um, 14, 15 years of schooling kind of put the, uh, put a, qu- kind of quash the, uh, want to continue on with, uh, more school immediately after graduation and I really couldn't think of anything else to be doing so I went and uh, I started talking to some of the military recruiters that were in the area and they were they were basically hunting people <laughs> hunting the uh, graduates at that time so talked to you uh first I talked to one of the Marine Corps recruiters but it uh, didn't initially appeal to me and then I uh, talked to the uh the Navy recruiters and they were actually willing to offer me the job that I wanted. So I decided to go with the, go with the Navy. Did you have any like family in the military or anything that would have led to that? Or was
1: it completely spur like, this is what I wanted to do. And so I got to check it out.
3: I just, I came to the decision after a couple of months of uh, deciding, but uh, my grand, both of my, my grandfathers had uh, served. My grandfather on my father's side was an officer in the U S Navy. Grandfather on my mother's side was, was actually airborne in the U uh, S army. Oh no, Yeah, so they ended up, he ended up, so my grandfather on my dad's side was ended up in the European theater, and my uh, grandfather on my mother's side ended up being one of the, uh, ended up fighting over in the Philippines. Okay. Now, you
1: obviously, you had gone to college, as you had mentioned, that 14 years of schooling. Did that influence what career path you took in the Navy, or was that just a complete aside?
3: Um, I wanted to get, basically, the uh, the, my person, the way that I work, I like helping people, and so one of the things that I was trying to do was get into uh, the medical field, technically, I could have uh, taken any job that I wanted. They were because once I got done with the ASVAB test and they saw my scores, they were trying to get me to join. They got me to take the uh, the test for the nuclear uh, section, and mm-hmm. they, basically they told me you can have any job that you want. But I, I was dead set on getting into the medical field, so. Initially, I was supposed to go in for a hospital corpsman and then ended up going into a dental technician uh, during a boot camp.
1: It's a good thing you didn't go corpsman or you would have ended up with those Marines that you weren't very interested in. Well, actually,
3: actually that's where I did end up. They sent me out to, uh, once I graduated from uh, dental assistant basic, they sent me off to Camp Lejeune where I went to uh, field medical service school for uh, six weeks. <laughs> so you did, you ended up there anyway, nice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so let's go to boot camp. What was that experience like
3: for you? Um, well, was, uh, it was eye opening. Um, it did certainly help to uh, put me into a situation where i was ended up with uh, a lot more personalities than I was normally used to. Because the <laughs> area that I used to live in was uh, really kind of upper middle class and really particularly kind of sheltered. And so it kind of exposed me to like different uh, people, different viewpoints, and uh, different experiences that I really wasn't been, had not been exposed to prior. Great lakes. Uh, so yeah, nice. Started, my basic training was over in uh, San Diego with the Naval Training Center that's uh, now closed. Right. Is that
1: the area you were from, or did they kind of pull you out of your comfort zone in that regard as well?
3: Um, I actually lived about an hour and a half up the, uh, the Interstate 5 freeway, which the Naval Training Center because that's where my uh, my mom's house was, it was over in uh, in Orange County so it wasn't that wasn't too great of a culture shock I'd already been down to San Diego quite a few times at that point so it was just, like, eh, right. just so it's it's like, it.
1: like getting a new job that was a little farther away exactly <laughs> all right so you mentioned that yeah. during boot camp is when you made the shift from going to from corpsman to dental assistant right. what inspired that like did they come to you and ask you about that or did you get the idea that you weren't going to enjoy the initial job uh
3: no it was the uh at the time I was about 30 pounds overweight after, from when the time that I enlisted and when I initially went in so I ended up getting put off for about two months and then they took away the hospital corpsman offer uh, they were trying to put me Not into you know. a basic uh, seaman recruit training and then afterwards that like after about the six week mark I think they was like they're trying to confirm everybody's jobs but I guess whoever it was that was working there at the time looked at the the stuff I was qualifying for and asked me if I wanted to change uh, basically <laughs> out of being a boat made to see if I wanted to do something else. So right. That's when I took the, uh, the dental te- technician position.
1: So how long was, or what was the schooling like for a dental assistant?
3: It's really pretty much hands-on. They spent uh, probably about a week just learning, like, all the different tools that they were using in the, uh, as far as, like, working chair-side uh, dental assisting. That's like why my
0: mouth turned so bad.
3: Right? <laughs> a week straight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they showed us, like, how to do, like, like basic teeth cleanings. How to assist with the, uh, the dentist when they're doing the, like they'll you know, different kinds of, uh, dental work. Um, basically from doing fillings to working up to extractions, uh, right. also taking x-rays, also some real light basic, uh, first aid stuff as far as like being out in the field. So sure,
1: that makes sense. Yeah.
3: Yeah, the one place where I found that I actually excelled was uh, was in radiology. I remember my practice shots of, like, doing the x-rays on the uh, the heads that they had there. And mm-hmm. The uh, guy that was in charge of it, he looked at my x-rays and I'm like, wait, these are your practice stuff? I said, yeah. He's like, no, these are your real stuff. Here, he signed off on it. It's like, they're do over go over there and go learn that. And I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. If I become a nuke, then I would have uh, I would have made third class petty officer like pretty much like while during uh while going through training. But it didn't really appeal to me. Alright,
1: right, so you uh you graduate all your schooling, you're now yeah. officially a, a seaman or a sailor in the US Navy, and they send you over to Camp Lejeune. What was that experience like? Tell, tell us about your first duty station. This episode is brought to you by Duffel Blog. Read in the Pentagon and around the world since two thousand and twelve Duffel Duffelblog has been the most trusted news source for the American military. Duffelblog is the first and only satire newsletter devoted to the United States military community. Visit Duffelblog.com for more information.
3: Uh, I just remember the first off, I remember when we were coming down into Jacksonville, North Carolina, we were landing. I'm like, are we crashing in the forest? All you can see is just trees everywhere. And then finally, there's like this little. We see like this building. I see the runway, the building that is their quote airport end quote. I was like, okay, great. I'm in the forest. (laughs) Am I looking for guys with ski masks coming out here? So get transportation, get myself over to the base. And again, it was more of the same. uh, More of the same stuff. Or like at that point, I. Haven't been back since, so I can't really say for the area now, but back then, the only thing that they really had going for Jacksonville at the time was Camp Lejeune. And right. so that was the only thing that you would uh, even you get from the front base or from the front gate to the closest things off of the other roadway, that's 11 miles away.
1: Wow, that's, okay, that's out there. Yeah. yeah. I've been in some uh, remote posts, but that's pretty, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it's true across the military, like, once you get, when you get to a new duty station, there's that initial, like, okay, I'm in a new area. Everything seems a little weird and a little different, but once you start going through the process, it's all the same across yeah. the board.
3: Right. Was there um was there anything about
1: Camp Lejeune that you really liked or anything that you really didn't
3: like? Um if I was looking for like to, going for more like outdoor activities that probably would have appealed to me. I mean there's plenty of that. You can go fishing, you can go hunting, but I'm from an area which we've got like all kinds of stuff like oh, as far as like to deal with entertainment goes. Where I grew up is 45 minutes away from Los Angeles, so that I could not really go anywhere without like an extensive like two hour drive, it was just like, ugh please get me out of here. Right. If I wanted quiet, that Although would be Oh no, that's fine. pretty much the same quiet. in the
1: 405, right?
3: The four or five. That's how long it takes to get in. Yeah. Four or five hours. <laughs> yeah.
1: Did you have any uh, exciting, like, patience or big <laughs> uh, events happen while you were at Camp Lejeune or was it pretty much just by the board, basic military?
3: Um, we were going through everything pretty well up until June of 1990, which is when uh, Operation Desert Shield started up. Because that was when we uh, Hussein oh, yeah, right. to wait. So that we ended up having to get to I was at Second Dental Company, and we service all of the, the Second Marine Division. So from, I think, like June until about September, October, we were spending the time getting a getting the Marines ready for deployment. So that was the uh, the big event that we had going on. And that was, I mean,
1: when when I, de- every time I deployed, I had to go, and Dwayne can speak to this too, I had to go through a whole three-ring circus of medical stuff just to, you know, to get any vaccinations you need, get any yeah. uh, anything fixed up before you go to the house when that was going on, or did you guys have a pretty nice formalized structure? Um,
3: yeah, it was really well structured. Everything was pretty well routine. So our regular, like, 10, 12-hour days went up to about 16-hour days. <laughs> so it was just an, a lot of extra work
1: more than anything
3: yeah. else <clears throat> now being in the navy did you ever get to spend any time on a ship outside of boot camp or uh, were you, uh
1: landlocked pretty much the whole time
3: No, I was pretty much on land bases. However, I did end up getting 13 months of sea time because after uh, Camp Lejeune, I transferred to Okinawa, Japan. Love Japan. I would love to go back there. And the wife and I are trying to get back down to, uh, we're trying to get to Japan, hopefully next year, so we can actually go to mainland Japan. But yeah, Okinawa was beautiful. And there was also plenty of stuff to do. And I was like, I was looking around at everything. That's that's where I wanted to go anyway. So the fact that they sent me over there right after uh, Camp Lejeune, I was like, all right. I was like, this was what I wanted, so I got to spend 13 months out there. Alright, <laughs> like this is what I
1: thought the Navy was going to be like. Yeah. yeah, I get that. <laughs> so, what was that? What was that experience, though? Uh, I'm assuming at this point you haven't had much, if any, international travel. You get on the plane, you fly over to Okinawa. What was that first moment
3: like? Uh, as far as like uh, actually getting there, yeah, I remember. Well, first it was a 24-hour flight because we went from LAX to Anchorage, Alaska, and then we stopped off at Mainland Japan, dropped off people, picked up people and then flew to Okinawa. Once we actually landed, can't remember if we landed at Kadena Air Base or not. I don't remember exactly where, but we got picked up, and I remember once we left the port from uh, where we landed, we got out to the city streets and we could actually go down to uh, the base where I was going to end up being stationed. I'm just looking around, and there's no written English anywhere. and I'm like, just seeing hiragana, Katakana, and Kanji everywhere, and I'm just like, yeah! it's was like, I oh, <laughs> love this. It's like, it's like a complete and utter culture shock, but like I wanted it. And I was like, ooh, ooh, what's that? Hey, ooh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And what year
1: was this when you were getting to Okinawa?
3: Um, The tail end is actually the end of December. So December 27th or somewhere around there of 1990.
1: Desert Shield was still kind of going on at this time, right?
3: Right, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember listening to, uh, I remember being in the dental clinic, and they had the, listening to the Armed Forces Radio, and they had the uh, CNN playing, they had the feed from CNN playing on the air, and I was like, that's when they, when I heard the announcement that the uh, Desert Storm had started.
1: What was the op-tempo around Okinawa, like, was it a little bit crazier than, uh, than Camp Lejeune had been, or was it kind of the same? Because I know there's a lot of different pieces on Okinawa.
3: Yeah, we were down on the south end of the island, so it was actually more, that's where more uh, the relief. Well, at the time, it was much more developed as far as like city stuff. We were kind of like in the middle of like of an industrial area, but we were also right on the beach, the western shore, the southwestern shore of the of the island. Apart from that, it was still like a lot of the same stuff that we dealt with in uh, at Camp Lejeune. Real, still strictly pretty routine going on about the day. Except this time, we were just working with the uh, the guys from the uh, Third Force Services Support Group. Gotcha.
1: Did you go somewhere else after Okinawa, or is that pretty much where you played out your career?
3: I was only there for thirteen months, and they said. Okay, where do you want to go next? You can go pretty much anywhere that you want to at this point. And I was like, uh, let me go back to San Diego. It was near my home. And plus, I happen to like the area, too, from when I was going to Dental Assistant Basic there when I was uh, going through my A school. So I was like, let me go back there. So they sent me over to the uh, yeah Naval Dental Center at the Naval Station on 32nd Street. Well, I
1: think it was a little bit different from Okinawa or Camp Lejeune.
3: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there I was working wearing my working blues. I didn't have to wear camouflage anymore.
1: Nice. Overall, let's, let's talk about the Navy in general. Favorite thing about your time in? Least favorite thing about your time in?
3: Um... Uh, Least favorite, I'll start with the least favorite thing, which I felt is basically a lot of the stuff that uh, you go through. It just seems like it's kind of like a daycare for adults, which I like a little bit of, which I do like some freedom, but even then it's still like, do this, do this, blah, 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 blah. I was like, yeah, 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 I got it. I was like, I don't need you to repeat it over and over again.
1: Especially for Junior Enlisted, they they pretty much get led around...
3: Uh, as far as stuff that I did like, it kind of has to go back to some of the stuff that I've been researching uh, lately, that if my suspicion is correct, if I actually am autistic like I suspect that I am, then the routines that we have there was uh, actually pretty well comforting because you know what to expect and it's not really a big deal as far as like some of the, all the stuff that you have to deal with. That's true. There,
1: There is a, a certain comfort in what a lot of people talk about when it comes to the military. Right. Of knowing what to wear every day, where to be, what time to be there. Yeah. Generally speaking, going through the what could seem monotonous is sometimes very comforting. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by the Warlock Emporium. The Warlock Emporium is creating bespoke items for the chosen few. The Warlock Emporium is the only authorized seller of items bearing the Warlock Sigil created by Magister Dr. Robert Johnson, author of The Satanic Warlock. The Warlock Emporium is now offering a 15% military discount. Visit the WarlockEmporium.com for more information. You mentioned you're dealing with uh, autism, trying to seek out a diagnosis. You want to talk
3: about that? Yeah, I got no problem with that. No, it was actually because of the uh, the whole pandemic. when we, we really couldn't do it. Right now, it's like, if I told Dwayne earlier, I showed him, I'm actually on top of the parking structure over at Disneyland. That's uh, a favorite haunt for my wife and I. That was closed for over a year. So it was basically, I just purchased the uh, the condo that we're in now. I had plenty of time available to start doing the stuff which I love to do, which is research. Damn, one of the things which uh, came up, I started looking at some of the things that I had been experiencing. I'm like, what is this? And it's like the more and more stuff that I looked at. I went and I looked up autism and I was like, oh, fuck, everything that I'm seeing on here. I've got that. I got that. I do this. I have this. I do this. I don't do that, but I do this a lot. And I was just like, holy shit. I was like, now I'm trying to find a find a psychologist uh, through my insurance that that uh, I can actually do a, a psychological assessment to determine. But as all signs are currently pointing right, to, it's right. like you're autistic, and people are like, who also have worked worked with autists, and we have a my wife and I have a couple of friends who are also autistic. They're looking at me, and it's like, yeah, you're autistic.
1: That's really interesting, and I'm curious because you mentioned during the pandemic was the first chance you really had a chance to research it and really yeah. like, take stock of everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. Did you as, like, while you were in the Navy, maybe something was just a little different or anything like that?
3: Yeah. I mean, the fact that uh, some of the stuff, it would take me a little while to adjust, but once I actually got, like, when things were explained, like, what it was that was requested of, or required of us, that's when I started to thrive. Um, like, for instance, if uh, mm-hmm. we were getting everybody ready with Desert Shield, they said, okay, I need you to do this, 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 and this. And basically, when I got all that done, almost to the point where we're about ready to get everybody deployed, the our commanding officer, Captain Lynch, was basically really was like really impressed with what, all the stuff that I had uh, that I was able to accomplish. I mean, I was an E two, and at that point, because they put so much responsibility on me, they basically they gave me the keys and they said, "You're going to be the last one here. You're going to be locking everything up and make sure everything's shut down." And it got to that when the NCOs found out about it. They're like, hey, he can't do that. That's a E5 in a position above. He's like he's not supposed to be doing that. It was only after their complaints that they actually had to change it. Right,
1: but you, were, you felt comfortable in that role and were accomplishing it. Yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah, it, I, was, I was basically meeting the standards, and they really couldn't argue too much about it. Yeah, it was only because it was like the uh, the petty officer second classes and uh, above started complaining that uh, I was going to do doing stuff that they were supposed to be doing. So that's when they finally took it away. <laughs> well, you know, once you hit that
1: NCO level, you're really worried about what goes on your paper.
3: Yeah. <laughs> your service comes to an end. Why didn't you really? Um Well, part of the problem with the the, the dental technician field, at that point, uh, I had to sign a one-year extension on my enlistment because it was oh, okay. already overfilled. After that, right around the time that I was about to get out, that's when they think they had already implemented that any uh, enlistments or re-enlistments you had to sign on for a total of six years. You had to sign an additional two years on the contract. They were so overloaded. The only way that you could actually pass and be promoted to uh, E4 in that rating is if you aced the test completely. I did take the, uh, the PL3 test, and I did pass it, but it wasn't high enough that uh, they were actually able to
1: promote. So you're basically stuck where you were
3: at. Exactly. And at that point, also, we also had to worry about the uh, the height position, so that even if uh, if I got to a certain point, they would have uh, phased me out anyway, just because I, wasn't, uh, I had not made the right to actually continue on. And So, looking at all that stuff, I was just like, probably just best that I just uh, take my five years. I was like, thanks, appreciate it, enjoy the experience, but we got to move on.
1: <laughs> well, and you're right down the road from home, so uh, better to do it there than across the world, right? Yeah, true. <laughs> Five years. Mm-hmm. Now you're... Getting ready to re-enter the civilian world, and did you like? Did you have a, you have a work lined up, or you going back to school, or was you just, or were you just kind of thrown into the civilian world?
3: Initially, I kind of got thrown back into civilian world. Problem with the at that time, uh, most of the dental offices were primarily looking for female dental assistants, so there was not any way that I was going to be able to get a job as a dental assistant, unless I went and I got a license for uh, dental hygiene as a hygienist. That makes sense, yeah. uh, Yeah, so I was on an employment, and that's when they sent me to uh, a machinist uh, shop, so I was learning machining. Got through that, went through a couple of the jobs in the machine shop, which I really didn't care for, and I also ended up with uh, a wrist injury at one of them. But after getting laid off the second time, my dad was like, my father was working for the California Highway Patrol at the time, and he said... That the uh, one of the things that he was doing, he was in charge of uh, basically being the uh, the head officer that was in charge of the freeway service patrol program. And yeah, the company that uh, had the contract with the uh, Riverside County to provide trucks, they were always looking for employees. So and they I needed new then. dental
0: assistants. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they needed good dental assistants. Right. Yeah.
3: So <laughs> well, fortunately, the dental insurance is pretty good. So yeah, so then I went and I trained. Uh, the good thing about the uh, my time in the service, Services that it really put like a sense of discipline going forward into uh, into civilian life also some of the stuff that I dealt with in the military it was like stuff with people to be freaking out about I was just, like what are you getting so concerned about it's like this is a first world problem deal with it it's not that big of a deal <laughs> yeah.
1: civilians spend a lot of time complaining about things that are not that important yeah I ask you a, a sensitive question I want you to to be as honest as you feel like being okay. the Navy probably more so than any of the other branches of service, is known for its drinking. (laughs) How much drinking did you do while you were in the Navy?
3: Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I went in when I was 17 and spent my 18th birthday in basic training. And once I actually got uh, out of basic and I got into dental assistant basic, the barracks that I was in, we had in the uh, the lobby, there was a vending machine, which you would find, actually, two vending machines. One had uh, Coke, Sprite, 7-Up, whatever. And the other one was Budweiser, Bud Light, like, all well, kinds of, uh, like, American beers that you could get for a dollar each, so. <laughs> and on top of that, the commanding officer for the base let everybody who was 18 and up drink. Right. (laughs) I was like, oh, great. My first experience with alcohol, I was basically still crawling around. My dad made the the mistake one time of leaving his double shot of Jack Daniels on the floor between his feet when we were at my grandparents' place. Didn't realize that I snuck up, took the shot glass, drank it, put it back down, and then crawled away. (laughs) And they found me a few minutes later, just passed out over by the... Somewhere in my grandparents' house and my mother's like, he is drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, so you
1: were being trained from the Navy for an early age.
3: Yes, very much indeed. <laughs> and Camp Lejeune wasn't really like a whole lot of drinking going on except for one night when uh, we were out bowling with a couple of friends just having beers. So I ended up getting drunk enough that I was basically just taking the ball, putting it at the line and just giving it a little push. And just went up and away. Just watch the ball wander down the down the aisle. And my friend, he was looking at me, he was like, he's seeing the ball going so slow. He's like, you are an asshole. This is going to take forever. I ended up getting a strike on that that shot. Nice. <laughs> yeah. the yeah. booze. When I got to Okinawa, it was like the floodgates had opened. At that point, I was twenty going on twenty one, but there was like the same thing at the, like at the, in San Diego. They didn't card you. They didn't care. It was we could just go to the E Club, and it was basically there for good, Quite a few weekends. So we would be drinking there, getting beers for a dollar each. Uh, tequila Sunrises and other mixed drinks were also a dollar each. You can purchase a, a fifth of a Bacardi. Five bucks for a, for a fifth of Bacardi. Yeah, so I had that in my locker. The uh, There were two clubs on the island over in Okinawa that you could drink until 6am and so i was at the the one that was on the southern part of the base the, we could be found just like there just drinking all night get out in the morning is like walk out of the other uh, walk out of the club take the taxi cab back home to the barracks go get some mm-hmm. breakfast go back to the barracks sleep all day and then go back out and do it again <laughs> yeah, That sounds like the military to me yeah. Yeah. See, I don't know why there's so much alcoholism in the Navy. Uh gee, I wonder why.
1: <laughs> well guys, uh I'm gonna take a quick break so we pop up some more messages, radio free Satan. Yeah. Speaking of Satan, when we come back from this break, we're gonna talk about the dreaded S word with our guest warlock Chris Little. Stay tuned right here on the official Infernal Legion podcast.
2: In 1966, Anton LaVey created the Church of Satan, marking the beginning of the Age of Fire and year one Anno Satanus. In 1969, he published The Satanic Bible, codifying Satanism as a religion, the first time it's been done in human history. In the name of Satan, ruler of the earth, king of hell, come forth from the pit, bestow the blessings of
1: hell upon us. For we are your children, and we invoke thee
2: this night. (sighs) In 2001, I was appointed high priest of the Church of Satan. In 2007, I published the Satanic Scriptures, further defining and expanding on Satanic philosophy and greater magic ritual. Hail, Satan, full of might! Hail! Our allegiance is with thee, thee. cursed are they, they. the The God-adorers, and cursed are the worshippers of the Nazarene Nazarene eunuch. For the past 50 years, the Church of Satan has stood as the sole organization to define and defend Satanism as a religion. And though pretenders to the infernal throne have come and gone, we have stood the test of time and will into the future. Visit churchofsatan.com for more information and read the Satanic Bible and the Satanic Scriptures. Knowledge is the solution for ignorance. Hail Satan!
0: Hail Satan! Hail Satan!
1: Welcome back to the official Infernal Legion podcast. We are speaking with our wicked warrior warlock, Chris Little, today. And we've just discussed his time in the Navy. Let's talk about Satanism for a moment. Ooh. Chris, when did you first discover the Satanic Bible by Anton LaVey?
3: Um, I wouldn't necessarily say discovered, but the uh, as I said earlier, I grew up in Orange County. And since we were 45 minutes away from Los Angeles... One of the things which we heard pretty much daily about, the McMartin preschool <laughs> trial that was going on and all the stuff that was developing from there. So it was pretty much almost daily. You'd be hearing stuff of like Satan instead of doing this, that, this, that, whatever. I'm like, oh, OK. I was being raised in a, a Catholic household at the time. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't really hearing anything to the uh, to the opposite of that until one day, I think it was in Hip Raider, where I read uh, an interview with King Diamond. And the stuff that he was talking about, because that always ended up being part of the interviews at the time, he was talking about Satanism. And the stuff that he was saying, it was like, no, it's not this, we don't even do that. And I'm like, huh, so... I was like, okay, so he's saying this. Everybody else is saying this. Even if I had wanted to start looking at it or trying to research it, it was not going to happen while I was living at home. So I basically sure. kind of put it out of my mind at that point. Um, fast forward a couple of years. So while I was at Camp Lejeune on the weekends, one of the things that I would do once I got to, about every other weekend, once I got the uh, the paychecks, I would go out to. At some point, they had actually arranged a bus system so that it would go like across a different uh, area base. You could take the bus and it would drop you off out at the Actually, it would drop you off over at the mall so that way you go to like whatever other location that you wanted to go from there, which uh, certainly helps save some money. So I would go over to the mall. Uh, there were three no three places I was typically at. It was either the uh, the music store, which is at one end, and then on the other end mm-hmm. was. A record store, back when we could still buy records, and also a B. Dalton bookstore. So I'd usually go purchase, a, like, whatever CDs I was looking at that week, and then go next door, go get some reading material. So I had chosen the reading material that I was going to purchase, and I guess I walked past the New Age uh, section, or whatever it was called at the time. I happened to look up. There's the Satanic Bible just sitting there on the shelf amongst all the other books. For whatever reason, they had it pointed so that it, the face was coming uh, straight out so that you could see it. And I was like, oh. There it is. All right, let's look at this. So I went, I opened it. It just so happened that I turned to page 89, which is exactly where Anton LaVey stated at the, the top of the page, exactly why it is that Satanists would not sacrifice any animal or a baby. I'm like, ah, there it is, black and white. Okay, so that's <laughs> that's what everybody is lying bullshitting about. And I was like, all right. So I put the book back because I had already made up my mind of the stuff that I was already going to purchase anyway. Went and made my purchases, left. I was like, okay, two weeks from now, we'll come back, I'll pick it up. So two weeks, go by, go back to the bookstore, it's not there. Next trip, not there again. The third trip, that was when it was there. I was like, all right, I'm grabbing this fucker before the saint disappears again. So I right, because at this
1: point, you didn't know if it was going to be around. Yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah. So grabbed my copy of that, then grabbed a couple of other things that I also wanted, so it made my, made my checkout. Then took the bus back to the barracks, got back to the barracks, sat down on my bed, started reading through it, got through it in a couple of hours, went back, reread the uh, the book of Lucifer. And then I was like, wow, didn't realize I was a Satanist already. Who's new?
0: <laughs> Who
3: knew? So this was,
1: what are we talking? We're talking 1990 still right
0: now, right? Yes. Yeah.
1: Now you would join the church of Satan in 1998. Right. So what was your kind of journey through this philosophy, this religion for those eight years?
3: Um. Well, Part of it, one of the things which did happen was, uh, my roommate at the time happened to find my copy of the Satanic Bible, uh, when I was there, still at Camp Lejeune. And so word about that got out and it was like, it created like this minor uproar there at the, the old second dental company. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, I think about a week later was, which is when the uh, Desert Shield started up. So everybody completely forgot about that because we ended up being so busy. So after I, that got sent back home. With the, some of the other stuff, which I kept in a sealed box, which fortunately my mother didn't bother to open up the stuff that I had there. So went over to Okinawa, came back. And then once I got out of the service, I opened the box. I was like, oh, yeah. So read through the book again, then started looking up uh, some of the other stuff that they had out at the time. And one of the things which I happened to find, there was the Tower Records over in Tustin, California, which had a really mm-hmm. nice... Uh, like a basic, a really good newsstand, which took up an entire wall, and I was going through, I was looking for like some of the guitar magazines, and I just happened to look, and I see the sigil of Baphomet just like sticking out, and I was like, "The hell is that?" So I bent <laughs> down, grabbed the magazine, and it was like a copy of the uh, the Black Flame. I was like, "Oh wow!" Nice. So I'm flipping through that, and there's they have like a, I think it was a half page of, or quarter page advertisement had the uh, the address for the Church of Satan. And I was like, "Oh, that's where it is." So sent up for the information packet this was in 94 so at that point i wasn't really making a whole lot of money so i was like joining up at that time wasn't really going to be an option but i was like i still kept reading through the stuff and i was like Okay, once I can get some money together, then I'll join up. But in the meantime, I just continued reading stuff and uh, learning about all the stuff that I could about it.
1: Did you ever have the opportunity during this time to uh, meet any other members or anything? Or was this largely a solitary experience for you?
3: No, it was uh, completely solitary at that point still. Uh, I think the earliest time that I had uh, like any type of, uh, was able to go to like any type of events there was a an art show, uh, which was put on by Coop, where they had some of the yeah. stuff at a, one of the art galleries in Los Angeles. Part of the problem with the, like we were talking about earlier with the autism, is the social awkwardness or the problems engaging in, like, social behavior. Right. So I basically just kept to myself. I was look, going around looking, like, at the different art pieces. I didn't re- introduce myself to anybody. Magus Gilmore was there, uh, so was uh, Megan Adramia. And then Jim Mitchell I happened to see him. He was also talking to them, so I was like, "I didn't." I felt that it was kind of rude to go up and just like interrupt their conversation. So I was like, "I just let them yeah, be let them have their conversation." And I just kind of wandered around, and then eventually I ended up leaving that event. A year or so later, I think there was another art event, which was uh well, a now former member and detractor was there, but mm-hmm. he wasn't at the time. Mm-hmm. So, but also uh Larry Wessel was there as well, so I went. Yeah, like, Wesselmania. Yeah. So, like, the uh, Larry Wessel had some of the stuff that uh, he had been doing, like, some of the art pieces that he had, and I was looking around, I was, like, looking at them, and I was, like, wow, this is really deranged looking. It's, like, I like it. Like, how much does that cost? It's, like, no, nah, I can't afford that. It's, like, I still like it, though, so. <laughs> but, yeah. It so, my uh, to love 1998
1: talking. rolls around, and you do officially join. Mm-hmm. What was your uh, what was your emphasis? What was your
3: motivation there? Um, primarily just to give support to the organization. I like I liked the, the idea of what they were doing. They're basically representing Satanism, and so I thought I want to a align with that. And it was like I had gotten a uh, I had been laid off from a. a from one of to the towing companies I was working for, and they ended up giving me two weeks severance pay. Didn't really matter though, I ended up having a job lined up so that the, the following weekend, so I was right back to work anyway. So I had some excess, a little bit of extra money. That's when I took the, uh, the hundred bucks and I finally sent off for my, uh, my membership. Nice.
1: Now, this was, so you kind of realized you were a Satanist in around 1990, kind of rediscovered it in 94. Right. But now you're joining the church in 98 were you aware that the doctor had passed
3: the point oh yeah um yeah the previous year i was actually uh at the a coffee shop i was hanging out with a friend of mine she already knew what uh, my religious affiliation was she's like oh yeah i saw a news article said that uh, anton lavea died i was like wait what she goes, she's like, oh, yeah, you didn't hear about that? I was like, no. She's like, what the fuck is going on? So she went back and she got the uh, the copy of the L.A. Times from the day before, which happened to be there at the, uh, the place where we were at. She got it for me and she was like, she opened it up. I was like, yeah, here it is. I was reading it. And I was like, oh, fuck. I was like, damn, man. So after that, I was like, well, I wonder what's going to be going on with the organization now. I mean, obviously, the uh, the founder of it and the, the main leader had just passed on. I was like, all right, what's next? So I basically, I had been thinking about joining at that point because I was making a little bit more money and I was like, I want to see what's going to go happen because I'm pretty sure there's going to be like something's going to be going on or probably going on with his escape, which you can expect that be happening like anytime somebody uh, passes away. Right. Especially
1: when when someone is is such a a pivotal figure in the counterculture.
3: Yeah, exactly. Uh, So I was like. I'm going to wait. So by at that point the uh, the website was already up and I'd already been uh, following along with that and once I saw that uh, Blanche had taken over with the uh, on the organization I was like okay Let's see how it goes. And I was like, I'm watching. I'm looking. And I was like, okay, nothing's changing. Everything's still being run the same way. From like the uh, information packets that I are and all the other stuff, which I had been reading already. So I thought, okay, now would be the time to join. Mm-hmm. Got the money from that check, like I said. <sighs> process, and that's when I sent it off.
1: Yeah, just recently speaking with a fellow member about that interim period between Doctor LeVay died and when Megus Gilmore took over. I sometimes don't think people really understand just how strong our Magistra Templi Rex, Blanche Barton, was during that time period. She was mourning the loss of her lover, uh, the father of Chuck so now she's a single mother, right. and she continued to run the organization, and like, as you said, and as so many others have said, there was hardly a hiccup. I mean, besides the fact that obviously everyone was mourning LaVeya's death, you wouldn't notice that the organization had, had even hiccuped. Yeah, exactly. Did, did you go active right away or was that, was that down the
3: line? Um, I had sent in my active application with my, uh, with my original, uh, application for membership. So it took okay. a couple of months back then to get my, uh, my red card. It was then ended up being like a few more months before I had, to, before I got any notification for uh, my active membership. And so when I finally got the response back, um, I, the response I got back, I was like, it was disappointing because I was rejected as far as like active membership, but looking back at that time, they were right. So I don't, yeah, I, I had to agree with them. And it was like looking back on it now. I was like, yeah, I was definitely not ready for active membership at that time. So I basically, I was like, I thought about it. I was like, you're still a member though. They're not taking that away from right. me. Right. They
1: still sent you the, the, mem- you, you still had your red card. You were still
3: yeah. Yeah, so I was a like, citizen
1: of the infirm empire as it were.
3: Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm still a member. So. Maybe I'll wait a while, see what I can do, uh, Like, kind of like improve my status in life, stuff like that. So I was already going to school, working full time. I was playing with a band. I was building up my college credits. And then uh, eventually I did start. Uh, I ended up getting into the job, which uh, I'm in now. And, uh, I was able to make a lot more of a, an impression out of the, uh, the real world. And so right. the, uh, keeping a central updated on the, the stuff that I was doing. Gotten in the relationship with the wife. Because we had met each other a couple of years prior. So we yeah, then attended, uh, was at a concert in, uh, that was put on with a couple of uh, Church of Satan members. And uh, ended up meeting, I think that was the first time I officially met Blanche Barton. And so I was talking to her, but she knew who I was immediately. So I was like kind of taken I was like oh wow she already knows who I am so she'd been following along with stuff like that. Um that's when I found out about the uh, the 50th anniversary celebrations that were going to be going on. So we ended up to taking the trip out to uh, to the uh, the conclave uh, attending that I ended up bringing the wife with me because once we got done there I told she was initially hesitant about going, not because of any, uh, like any type of religious objection, but because she's also like me, she's also suspecting that she's also autistic too. So trying to get out of her comfort zone is not particularly, uh, doesn't always go too well. Mm-hmm. So I told her I said, "Well, we'll be there for a couple of days. I'll tell you what. How about after that, then we go over to to Walt Disney World?" <laughs> yeah, she was uh, pretty well happy with that. One. Uh, but yeah, it was uh yeah, it was during the attractions for her. So that it was during the 50th anniversary that I got to officially meet uh, Megus Gilmore and Megan Adramia because I found out uh, a little bit later that I had actually interacted with. Uh, with Peggy Nidreamia online in the uh, one of the old IRC chats that we used to have,
0: isn't that amazing? Oh yeah, yeah.
3: So I didn't realize, I didn't know at the time until it, it was actually a uh, Magister Ventrio who was one of the uh, the moderators. It's like, oh yeah, that was Peggy Nidreamia. I was like, oh wow, cool. <laughs> so she would pop in every once in a while.
0: Oh, don't worry, the same thing happened to me when I met Peter and Peggy. They mm-hmm. both. I mean, I I met them, and I was I was like duh, duh, da da because I was just like didn't know what to say. Yeah. Oh, and it made me everything about me. I mean, you know, hey, we yeah. know you. We've been. I mean, same thing happens. Yeah, they, they they take a vested interest in their people.
3: Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things I do like about this organization. It's like they do keep up on what it is that you're doing. Right, and even when you don't think they uh, they are much like, yeah. them, right. like you mentioned. Yeah,
1: they did another active membership application after the fiftieth, and and all, getting to know everyone. And
3: uh, no, actually, um, so a little bit after the, uh, my wife was impressed enough. She was already a Satanist at that point anyway, because she discovered the Satanic Bible right around the same time I did, and I found out there's actually quite a few different events that we were also at at the same locations. And, while we were growing up but Mm -hmm. she had already read the satanic bible she she had already been a declared satanist as well so when she actually got to attend the 50th anniversary she was like i want to join i'm like Okay, well, if you want to join? Save up the money. So at that point, the registration fee had already gone up to what it is now. Right, she, right. Yes. So once she got a another job, she went. She saved up her money, and then she went and she applied. and became a member. I think it was in October of 2017. She got a packet in the mail where she was elevated to witch. I was like, oh, cool, good for you. Like, oh well, well <laughs> she got it, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shut her down. for anything. So I was like, I was well happy for her. She uh, she was proud of her achievement. I was like, well. She certainly does deserve it. So a couple of months later, packet arrives. And I'm like, what is this? So I open up the packet and it's my, uh, it's my certificate for elevation to warlock. I got in contact, uh, I think with uh, yes. Peggy. Yeah, I got in contact with Peggy and the I happen to notice that the, uh, that the date was the same as it was on the, on the wife's certificate. Yeah. It was, turns out we had been elevated the same day. Fucking U.S. Postal Service lost my packet, and we don't know where it ended up going. But it was like almost six months later, or something like that. It got sent back to central, and they're like, "The hell's this going back here?" So they sent it back off. And I found out from uh, from Peggy. She was like, "I didn't know whether or not to, to to get in contact with you to let you know that we had elevated you." But I kept seeing, it was like, I saw that your wife had posted that she had been elevated. I was wondering, it was like, is he not going to post it up there, or is he just going to keep it private? Like, I was completely out of the loop at that point. I was like, once I found them, finally got it, I'm like, oh, okay, U.S. Post, great, thanks. You know,
1: if the USPS ran maybe a little bit more like the U.S. Navy's dental labs, <laughs> we'd all be in a better position. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah it's like i don't yeah the, uh, the, the stuff going on the, uh, the in, like the prosthodontics it takes a couple of months just because they end up getting backed <laughs> up <laughs>
1: this episode is brought to you by underworld amusements since 2007 underworld amusements has been creating producing publishing and distributing curious sundries and callous broadsides from the Satanic Scriptures by Magus Peter H. Gilmore to Midas Right, the authoritative edition by Ragnar Redbeard, Underworld Amusements is your source for the most dangerous books ever written visit underworldamusements.com for more information well let me ask you about you discovered satanism while you were in the military didn't really like get into like studying it that part until afterwards did their right. experiences have any bearing on on your membership in the church like do you feel it's uh had an impact on how you handle things within uh our little cabal or um are these just two separate facets of your life
3: um i'd say they're probably two different facets uh Because at that point, I had already been, I was kind of dissociated at that point with uh, my military service. I was like, it kind of, it still kind of informs my worldview, but at the same time, it also does not for the most part.
1: Interesting. Okay.
3: Well, let's
1: get into, the reason I thought this would be really interesting to have you on, you've started a new project that directly relates to the Church of Satan and Satanism. And of course, for anyone who's already familiar with it, I'm discussing Satanism 101 which is a new video series that you've just started doing within the last month or so, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. What was your inspiration to do it and why the topics that you've picked so far? What topics are you going to do in the future? Tell us all about Satanism 101.
3: So, I actually had the idea about a year or so ago. That's if you look at like a, that if you go over to YouTube and you look at the channel, you'll see when it was that it was actually created and the uh, the first like teaser trailer that I had placed up there. Part of the problem that I've noticed on YouTube, you got a bunch of people, like, trying to give out information about Satanism, and they don't know what the fuck they're talking about at all. I mean, there's only <laughs> been a few, like, podcasts and uh, content creators. I mean, this podcast is one of them that actually knows what they're talking about. Going back to uh, when Magister David Harris was running the, you know, Satanism Today podcast years ago. And then Granddaddy in- of a soul, yeah. Indeed. <laughs> of uh, also uh and then adam campbell's nine cents podcast after that and now with the uh, magister bill m's uh satan's plane podcast but i wasn't necessarily interested in doing podcasts i don't feel like i could cover a specific topic for like an hour like what uh bill m does so right. i wanted i decided i want to do videos that were concise and as accurate as possible, but I also wanted to keep everything no longer than about 10 to 15 minutes each.
1: Well, that's the sweet spot for YouTube, especially.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's, and so the uh, the way that everything is running, everybody's clamoring for attention. And so mm-hmm. you kind of uh, forced to deal with like all the other, uh, you're basically competing with like, I don't know, probably like millions of content creators oh, what yeah. going on yeah. out there and everybody's yeah. like okay and was like boring with this okay flip ass go check out of this video go check out this one okay boring go to the next video and stuff like that so i was trying to keep things as short and sweet as possible but also still pro- pro- provide as much good information as- did you
1: have uh any background doing video work before you
3: no so doing like some of the stuff with uh, the youtube i mean I, there's quite a few YouTube channels that I do subscribe to that I've watched. A lot more towards, uh, gaming than my, my wife and I like watching the, uh, like the YouTube videos uh, for the content creators where I do stuff off of, uh, Disneyland and Walt Disney World. But as far as like, uh, like actively getting into it before now, no. So it, it's been beneficial not only to have
1: an extra source of valid information about Satanism, but also you're learning a new skill out of it.
3: Yeah. yeah, you have current one one
1: video up and one more. Did the other, did the second one dropped today. I don't have my dates right in my head
3: here. No, I actually dropped it uh September 9th at uh, midnight Greenwich Mean Time. So the I second video. Is you have there.
1: two videos up. Yeah. What What made you pick those topics that that you discussed in those videos?
3: So one of the things which always comes up. Let we get the uh, the people saying like you're a Satanist, you worship the devil. No,
0: <laughs> and here's exactly
3: why. So that was the one that I picked on that. And then one of the other, uh, hot topic issues that keeps coming up is abortion. It's like, and you go through and you start reading social media, especially on X or formerly known as Twitter. You start seeing it's like, Satanists are doing abortions as a t- form of human t- child sacrifice. I'm like, fuck off. We are not. And I was like, and you're going to be finding out. Fuck off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're going to find out of Bay was pro-life. And it's was like, guess what? Not everybody in the Church of Satan or all Satanists are pro-choice. Some are pro-choice. Some are pro-life. And it was, like I said in the video, some people are going to have opinions that you would just be like, what the fuck? So that's what right. I Right. Mean. Yeah,
1: there's... There's uh, all shades within the Church of Satan, for sure. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Anyone listening to this probably already knows who's to blame for this claim that abortion is is some kind of sacrament and sacred. Right. I've never heard anything more ridiculous in my life. Yeah. <laughs> but that's awesome that you're dispelled these these common rumors. What kind of topics do you want to cover in the future on the show?
3: So I'm actually just finished doing the narration for the, uh, the next video. Uh, that will cover politics, something that we can all get behind mm. and unify on. <laughs> <laughs> a wonderfully hot button topic, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. We don't need to mention that the the practical jokers who are trying to uh, associate a particular uh, political aims or political uh, path with uh, with Satanism. And so I was like, no. Here's some more information. I was like, this is the information about why it is that the Church of Satan doesn't get involved, and why it is that you're going to keep finding Satanists who you may agree with politically, you may not agree with them politically.
1: And when do you expect that one to drop? You're doing these basically monthly,
3: right? Uh, the idea right now is I'm trying to get all of them dropped on the ninth day of the uh, of the month. The this one it, it, it's time and finances permitting. So I actually just finished up the uh, the narration today on the third video. I have a couple of other topics which I've chosen that uh, I'm already starting uh, writing up scripts for. I'm actually uh, probably next week I'm going to do the uh, the video filming and uh, start looking for the footage that I want to use with the. Uh, as far as, like, the stuff that's going to go into the video.
1: Nice. So it sounds like you're spending a lot of proper time to make sure that these videos are are done to the best and the best means possible.
3: Yeah, exactly. And Um, then, yeah, I also said... uh, the first thing that I do once I actually get the video done, I will been I've been doing what I can to send it over to uh, the administration for the Church of Satan so they can see it. And so let me know if there's anything that's in there that's incorrect, so that way I can go right. back and do any editing. So but so far the um, the first two videos I've sent and I've heard back and they're they're like yeah go ahead and if you want to advertise it just send us the uh, the link and like the uh, the title graphics and stuff like that. So that's what I did. I ended up on the uh, the news feed last week. So point of pride on that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's yeah. always nice
1: when you find yourself on the official news feed, like, oh, I'm I, all those people who say the Church of Satan isn't doing anything. You get to kind of tap pat yourself on the back and say, see, I'm an example of what we are doing.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, well, that's awesome. It. What, uh,
1: what is YouTube so that our listeners can go and check this out?
3: It's YouTube dot com forward slash at Satanism one zero one two. I don't know who has Satanism 101, uh, but mine will be Satanism 1012 as far as like yeah. But if you look up Satanism 101, You'll find the uh, the icon that I use. It actually stemmed from uh, my Grand Theft Auto, uh, one of the uh, the logos that I use on uh, on that uh, on that platform.
1: Well, that's fantastic, and obviously, um, as I as I mentioned to you before we did this show, as soon as I see that those uh, video links hit the news feed for this, there you're one of us, and we just went through. Have not heard any of. It has been fantastic to have you on. Thank you for being here, Chris. Thank you
3: for having me on. Appreciate it. I would also like to thank you guys for being one of the uh, the earliest supporters orders and sharing it with the uh, the infernal legion group and uh, sharing the links on the uh the videos absolutely until we do
1: this next time hail satan
3: hail satan
0: hail satan
1: there is a new veteran crisis hotline number if you or a veteran you know are experiencing a crisis Please dial 988 and press 1. Once again, that is 988 and press 1 when prompted.